The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. And the measure which you use, you will be measured against. Why is it that you see the speck in your brother's eye and do not see the log that is in your own eye? Or how is it that you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye while you have a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. Take first the log out of your own eye and then you'll be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not throw holy things among the dogs or cast your pearls among pigs or they will trample them underfoot and will turn and attack you. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. Father, we believe that you inspired Matthew to record these words of Jesus. We believe that they not only had power for the day that Matthew wrote them, but they have power today, right here, if we will hear them. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, open these words to us, perhaps as never before, that we would be changed more and more to be like Christ. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. Judge not that you be not judged. I mean, it's nice when you open a text like this and you say, this just doesn't affect or apply to any of us. And yet the truth is, this text, these opening words, cut right to our hearts, if we're being honest. The reason they cut to our very hearts is because we do it all the time. We are constantly judging one another. We try to mask it. We often try to justify it, but we do it all the time. And of course, now in our day and age, we've got even more opportunity to judge one another because of social media. Because not only do we look at each other's lives in real time, now we get to put everything online for everyone to see all the time. I saw a bumper sticker the other day that says, I'm not judging you for doing it. I'm judging you for putting it on Facebook. I mean, it's true. We sort of put everything out there, don't we? And then, and then we're surprised that, you know, we feel judged. And yet the reason we go on Facebook is we all want to look at other people's lives and whether we know it or not, we're judging them. Uh, this week, I, some of you saw on Facebook, I uh, went for, uh, to a gun range for the first time uh, this week. A uh, parishioner uh, took me to a gun club and taught me how to shoot. And so I thought it was a good idea to film it, a little film of me shooting and, and put the target and, and post it on Facebook. And the moment I pressed post on that, I went, oh, this could go really badly. Um, you know, I'm just putting it out there. Now, th to my delight, uh, it didn't go badly based on the comments. Um, I think if I had still lived in the Pacific Northwest where I grew up uh, by uh, Vancouver, uh, I probably would have lost all authenticity with my congregation had I posted that. Realizing I'm living in Texas, so I think I just got legitimized with my voice here in Texas by posting that. So, um, but the point is that it's all out there and we're constantly watching one another and we're constantly putting people in categories 
And though we can be really good at masking it and justifying it, we are constantly judging one another. But it's interesting, in this text, we're looking at Matthew chapter 7, we're at the third chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus in verse 6, though, says something very different. I mean, you think he's going to be on this judging theme, don't judge, judge not, verse 1, but then verse 6 he says, don't put holy things among the dogs, and don't throw your pearls before pigs. Well, Jesus, which is it? Am I not to judge, or am I to say, oh, clearly those are pigs, don't put your treasures there. I mean, it sounds kind of judgment-like, doesn't it? I mean, is Jesus contradicting himself? Not at all. He's not contradicting himself. What he's doing in verse 6 is he's distinguishing between judgment and discernment. There's a difference. We are called to be wise. We are called to discern between evil and good. Woe to you who call evil good and good evil, Isaiah 5 says. We're called to know the difference. We're called to be discerning but we're not called to become judges. And if you're wondering what the distinction is, we're going to look at that in just a few minutes, the distinction between discerning and judging. As Charles Spurgeon once famously said, the saints are not judges, but the saints are not simpletons either. We're not to judge, but we are to be wise. And so that's what the pearls before swine passage is about. He's saying, don't just hear this sermon, oh, don't judge, and therefore just shut off your discernment, shut off your wisdom, and say, well, I'll leave it as it is. No, you're called to be wise, but you are desperately called by Jesus, and I am desperately called not to judge. Now, the question is, how do we do this? And we need to get this right in our lives, because just like last week when we looked at pride judgmentalism, judging others, is a rot that is within us, and it breeds other sins. It starts in judging another, and it quickly goes down a pathway to other sins. How will the judge in me die? How will the judge in me die? Well, the answer is always the same, by hearing the gospel by hearing the good news. Jesus in this text gives us the good news about judging. And it's, as always, it's a full uh, dose of the good news, which means he's going to first have to confront us with our need for that good news, and then will give us the cure. And this is what we see, the good news about judging in this text. Jesus says in these short few verses, the judging is hazardous, the judging is hypocritical, And we go, all right, that's the hard news, but then here's the good news, here's the cure. The judging is humiliated at the cross. The judging is hazardous, it's it's hypocritical, and thanks be to Jesus, it's humiliated at the cross. First, it's hazardous. Who is it hazardous to? To you and me, the ones judging. The hazard is to us. There's many reasons why it's hazardous to us. But if we want to carry on the alliteration, we can say it's hazardous because it hijacks the bench and it hangs ourselves. What do I mean by that? Well, it's hazardous in that it hijacks the bench. And I mean the judge's bench. It means that we take God's seat of judgment. Verse 1 says, judge not that you be not judged. Why is the Bible so key on not having us sit as judges? Because the Bible is very clear that there is only one judge. 
There's only one true judge over the world. In this Easter season, we see that most clearly with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, Paul says in Acts 17 that the resurrection is the sign, the the arrow that points to Jesus and says, this one's the true judge of the world. Acts 17, when he's in Athens talking to a bunch of pagans, Paul says this. He says, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he's fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he's appointed. So there's a day of judgment coming and there's a man appointed, an appointed judge. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising this man from the dead. In other words, what Paul is saying to the pagans in Athens is the resurrection is the picture, it's the sign, it's the arrow that says, behold, here is the judge of the world. We say it every week in the creed. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. There is a judge. But the reason we're called not to be judges is because the Bible is clear. There is one judge, and I'm sorry to bring us all down an ego notch or two. It ain't you or me. We're not the judges. God alone in Jesus Christ is the judge. You see, I grew up in a family of three boys, and I was the eldest. And see, the problem was oftentimes the most common uh, word spoken over me in my house as the eldest of three boys was Paul, don't parent. I know that's never happened in any of your houses at all. Paul, don't parent. Now, why did my parents say that? Don't parent. Because I was being an obnoxious snot when I was 13? Yes. But it was also based on competency. I mean, my parents were stating something absolutely clear about my competency. Paul, I know you're 13, so you think you know everything. But guess what? You actually don't have the competency to parent your brothers. You don't have enough of a worldview. You haven't lived long enough. You don't even know how the world really works yet to be the parent. You don't have the competency. And it's true. Now, put that in the macro focus over a human life. What competency do you and I have to speak judgment over another person's life? We don't know their whole backstory. We don't know what's really happened. And we certainly don't know what's coming five minutes down the road, do we? But only one does. And that's Jesus, the one raised from the dead. He is competent to judge. We are hijacking the bench, and that's why it's hazardous to us. We're we're trying to take God's role. But also, judging others is is hazardous in that we hang ourselves in that judgment. And what I mean by this is, look at verse 2. Jesus says, uh, For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured against you. What Jesus is saying is this. At the end of the day, however you want to judge the world, guess what? We'll just take that judgment back on you. Can you actually live up to your own judgments? Uh, Francis Schaeffer told a little parable uh, trying to explain in his mind how it will be before the judgment throne of God. If anyone ever stands before the throne of God and says, really, God, are you really, I mean, come on, you're going to judge me? And and, and Francis Schaeffer said, "It's, it's like this. It's like God took a little invisible tape recorder when we're born as babies and puts it around our necks little invisible tape recorder. We can't see it. And this invisible tape recorder only turns on and records in those moments when I speak a word of judgment over another person, when I judge someone, 
or when I think about judging them in my thoughts. And it just records that moment. And then at the end of time, if I want to have the audacity to stand before God and say, who are you to judge me? God can say, oh, well, I won't judge you. I'll let you judge yourself. And we'll play back all those recordings. And then God will say, okay, there's your measure of judgment. Have you even lived up to your requirements? And the answer will sadly be no. Romans chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says these words. He says, therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Judging is hazardous because it hijacks the bench and because we hang ourselves with our judgments. But not only is it hazardous, it's also hypocritical. Look at verses 3 to 5, this whole section about having a log in your eye. Jesus says, why do you see the speck of dust, the speck of dirt in your brother's eye and do not see the log that's in your eye? I mean, he's trying to make a distinction between size, right? Speck versus a whole plank, a tree in your eye. And he says, how is it that you, verse 4, want to try and take out that speck while you've got this log in your eye? What Jesus is identifying for us is a horrible human condition that unfortunately lives in each and every one of us at different times of our lives. And it's called log eye. (laughs) We all suffer from it. It's a terrible disease. And it's sort of like it comes back again and again. Log eye. This amazing ability that a human being has to notice the sins and faults in another while totally ignoring their own. John Stott uh, wrote these words. He says, the picture of someone struggling with the delicate operation of removing a speck of dirt from a friend's eye while a vast plank is in his own eye, entirely obscuring his vision, is ludicrous in the extreme. Yet... When the caricature is transferred to ourselves and our ridiculous fault-finding, we do not always appreciate the joke. We have a fatal tendency to exaggerate the faults of others and minimize the gravity of our own. We have a fatal tendency to exaggerate the faults of others and minimize the gravity of our own. Logi. And of course, over people who are suffering from logi, which is the entire human race, Jesus has a word for us. Verse 5, hypocrite. Hypocrite. It's one of my favorite words in Greek because it means actor. (laughs) But it's not a good word because what Jesus is saying is you're a pretender. You're a fraud. I mean, he uses this of the Pharisees all the time. You're not a bunch of holy men. You're a bunch of hypocrites. You're a bunch of actors. You're a bunch of frauds. I mean, what he's saying to us that suffer from logi when we go around judging others, and don't be wrong, by the way, that can be done very quietly. Let's just be clear. Judging can all be just about me and my little court of law and my life, right? It's still judging. And as we do it with logi, we hear that word hypocrites spoken over us. You're actors. You're not judges. You've got no competency to do this. You're not a true judge. You're an actor. You're a pretender. You're a fraud. And yet there you go again, fraud, judging again. Now, I don't know about you, 
But I can hear that my judgmentalism, my judging is hazardous and I can hear that it's hypocritical. And that's nothing new. There's no surprises in this sermon, right? I mean, we're all sitting there going, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty clear on this. Nothing new here. And yet, isn't it amazing, even though I can know these things, I continue to fall back in that pattern. It seems that something else is required. More than just knowing that it's hazardous, more than just knowing that it's hypocritical, something is needed to cure me, to begin the cure of this judging. And here's the gospel. That our judging, and it's hard to hear it, but it's a mercy, it's a good mercy, our judging is humiliated at the foot of the cross. Our judging is humiliated at the cross. Here's what I mean. Look at verse 5. After he calls us hypocrites, Jesus says this. He says, first, take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It sounds sensible. Jesus is basically giving surgery instructions. Before you're about to go out and perform this surgery, here's, what's in the, here's the problem. You can't do this until you get the log out of your eye. Okay, Jesus, then I get the log out of my eye. Then I can go, you know, start committing surgery on others. I can start removing the specks. I can go judge others when I get the log out of my eye. Okay, Jesus, how do I get the log out of my eye? Well, I don't know about you, but I continually try to get that log out of my eye, and it's a forest in there. If one comes out, man, another one springs up. I was going through my prayer journal recently. I, 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 for 23 years, I've been a Christian and, and just learned to pray early on with a journal. And I, so I, I, I pray at the end of a pen, and I'm laying out everything and my sins and, and, and joys and thanksgivings. And as I read through my prayer journals recently, and by the way, I'm not a narcissist reading through my prayer journals. See what you just did there? See what you just did there? <laughs> Judge not. I'm not a narcissist. I was actually going through an exercise saying, is there any sign of sanctification in my life? Like, is there any growth? And, and you know what? The good news was, yes, I saw that early on there were some patterns of sin that were very prevalent in the first few years. And as time went on, some of those sins just stopped popping up on a regular basis. Wow, sanctification. To God be the glory. Except other sins took their place. It was like I got over this one, and then here's a new set of besetting sins that started falling on me. And by the way, they weren't like new sins. They were all there already. It's just that God is merciful in that as we ask, oh, Lord, reveal my sinful heart, he's merciful that it only gives you as much as you can take. You know, if God was actually to show you and me our whole sin right now in one moment, I'm pretty convinced we'd just be ash heaps on the ground right? God is merciful. He, he just shows us what we can deal with in particular seasons. So it wasn't that there was new sins. I mean, there were new sins, but those sins were there. I mean, as I attended to removing the logs, there's more logs. It's a forest in there. So Jesus, how is verse 5 to become real in my life? How can I get that log out? If, if I need to get the log out before I take the speck out of another's eye, then it, it, something's got to happen. And here's the point. I don't think Jesus is actually suggesting that we can get the log out of our eyes. See, I think it's a little bit like Matthew, or John chapter 8, when he says to the crowd with the woman caught in adultery, you know, the one without sin can throw the first stone. I mean, he's not actually asking, uh, is there someone without sin here? He knows the answer. 
And so he knows the answer in verse 5 when he says, if you want to take the speck out of another eye, then you better get the log out of your eye. And the point is it can't happen. We can't get the logs out of our eye on our own. It won't happen. Instead, here's what I think Jesus is saying in verse 5 about taking the log out. What Jesus is saying is there's only one person who's able to judge. And that person is the one that has no logs in their eye. That's what verse 5 is saying. There is only one person who is able to judge other people, and that's the one without logs in his eyes. And guess what? There's only one person who ever walked the earth who never suffered from log eye, and that's Jesus. As Hebrews chapter 4 says, that he was tempted like us in every way, yet without sin. He's the only man, only person who's walked this earth and not had a forest in his eyes. He is the only one, verse 5 is saying, he's the only one that can actually address the specks in other people's eyes. But here's what's amazing. As we meet Jesus, as we meet this one person who actually has the right to judge, who has the ability to judge, because he's got no logs in his eyes, what happens when we meet him? We meet him on a cross. And what is he doing on the cross? What is the judge doing on the cross? He's putting our sin, taking our sin on his own shoulders. He's standing in our place. He does judge our sins. The judgment falls. Yes, we have done evil. Yes, we are worthy of punishment. Yes, because we've abandoned and rejected God, the punishment should be death. And so what the judge does is he judges, the one and only judge, he judges our sin, and then he says, let me take the punishment on myself. When we meet the judge, the only true judge, we find him dying on a cross for those who he is allowed to judge. He's showing us in his judging upon that throne, that judge's bench, which is a cross, he shows us what the opposite of judging is. Mercy. You see, as he bears the consequence of our sins, as he bears the weight of the judgment that falls on us, he shows us mercy. Isn't that what's missing in our lives? I mean, when we look at other people and we cast judgment on them, what would be the opposite what would be the gospelized version of that activity? It would be seeing people with mercy, looking upon them with mercy, showing compassion and mercy and grace. Do you see how the cross humiliates the judge in you and me? You see how the cross humiliates the judging that is within us? Because we meet the one true judge and what we find him doing, dying in the place of sinners dying as the one who would bear the consequence of that judgment. Do you see the juxtaposition? This just floored me this week. The juxtaposition. Okay, I have a forest in my eye, and yet I am quick to judge others. He has no logs in his eye, and he shows mercy. One of us has got the world upside down. He who has no sin, no logs, shows mercy. Where am I getting off judging another? At the cross, my judging is humiliated. At the cross, I find my cure begin. 
As I think about this with my neighbors, my coworkers, and strangers I see at the store, my wife, my daughters, and I think about those moments when I judge them, when I stand in the judge's seat. Man, it brings me back to my prayer journal in those moments. It brings me back to that place of confessing my sin and my brokenness. Who am I to judge? I need forgiveness as a judge, and I find it at the cross. That's what I love about our liturgical tradition, is we have that opportunity each and every week to be confronted with the truth of the gospel, God's goodness, God's love for us, but then are given the opportunity to express our need for that gospel. I mean, our, our, our prayer, which we're going to say in just a few moments from now, our call to confession, those opening words we say every, every week, most merciful God. Right? We meet the true judge, the one who truly can judge. And what is he known by? What is his character? Most merciful God. We confess that we've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we've done, by what we've left undone. We've not loved you with our whole heart. We've not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, the true judge, hanging on that cross, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. We say those words and God meets us in that prayer. And then he pronounces forgiveness. How will the judge in me die? Come to the cross. I mean, hear the gospel. Your judging, my judging, is hazardous. It is hypocritical, but its cure is begun and found as we have it humiliated at the cross. At the cross, the true judge of the world dies. At the cross, the false judge in me, therefore, must die. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.